It's a question that has sent many a believer and many a church down the slippery slope of failure. Can I still be a Christian and fill in the blank? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the dangers of compromise. Christ saw it happening in one of his churches and he didn't mince words. We'll hear those words as David shares today's message, The Church in Satan's City. Well, thank you for joining us. And you have uh, slipped into our study of the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Those churches are Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. All the names except maybe Ephesus and Philadelphia don't mean much to us today. But they were actual cities in the day when these letters were written by John from the Isle of Patmos under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And each of the churches has distinctives and characteristics about them that remind us of our churches today. And each of them have those same characteristics that remind us of ourselves and people that we know. And uh, we're going to learn much about our churches, about ourselves, and about the future as we study these churches together. I have in front of me, as we begin this lesson today, a copy of the study guide called The Seven Churches of Revelation. It's brand new, and uh, you can have a copy of this. If you'll go to our website, we'll tell you how to order it. And uh, you can have the Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies, uh, will help you learn to recognize the signs of our day through a biblical lens. And it takes difficult things, and we've tried to make them easy. Uh, The book is uh, 400-plus pages. And it's yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point. Simply ask for this book when you send your gift today. Now, some of the churches to which John wrote his letters were churches that were commendable, like Smyrna and Philadelphia. Some were sort of partly commendable, and some uh, needed some adjustment. Um, But Pergamos, it was a city that was pretty evil. In fact, The byproduct of this and the subtitle of this lesson is The Letter to the Church of Satan's City. The text is Revelation 2, 12 through 17, and that's what we're going to study right now as we open our Bibles together here on Turning Point. I'm going to ask you to just open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And I want to read just a few verses from this chapter that describe a church to which a letter was written by John from the Isle of Patmos. The Bible says that John was exiled on this island for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. While he was there, he gave to us through the Holy Spirit the whole book of Revelation. But the book of Revelation begins with some letters that he wrote that were to be circulated among the churches that surrounded the island. As you remember, these churches were in a circle. John started with the first one, which was the church in Ephesus, and then he went to the second one, which was the church in Smyrna. And so this is the letter that he wrote to the third church that you could see from the island, that you could visualize from the island where he was. And the words are sober and somber. Listen. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and you do not deny my faith even in the days 
in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I do have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now when you read that letter today, you think, what in the world could that have to do with me? What can I learn from that letter that will make a difference in my life? We are going to learn about a church living in a city that the Lord himself named. Our Lord himself named this Satan's city. What an awful place to live in Satan's city. The Bible tells us that the destination of this letter was to a place called Pergamos. Pergamos describes a sort of union of pagan cathedral city, a university town, and a royal residence. And if you were to follow it on the map, you would discover it is the most northern of the seven cities located some 60 miles from each other. And when the book of Revelation was written, Pergamos was the capital of the Roman government in Asia. Pergamos was different from all of the other cities in Asia. It could not boast of its strategic location like Ephesus and Smyrna. But it was considered the greatest city of Asia, and it had been the capital city for almost 400 years. It was built on the top of a dominant hill. On a clear day, the Mediterranean Sea, 15 miles away, could be seen from this city. The city was a cultural center, famous for its library. If you've read about this city in history, the library that was located on top of the Acropolis was second only to the library in Alexandria. The large hall, which served as a reading room, measured 44 feet by 52 feet. The library in Pergamos is said to have held 200,000 volumes when Mark Antony offered it to Cleopatra. When Egypt refused to sell papyrus to the Pergamenes, they treated sheep and goat skins to produce parchment. And the Latin of parchment is pergamentum, from the city of Pergamon. Even today, when you graduate from college, your diploma is called a sheepskin, going all the way back to this city. The Bible tells us in verse 12 that the Lord had something to say to this city. The Bible says that the Lord is described as the one who had the sharp two-edged sword. We've run into this phrase a couple of times in the book of Revelation. It's the shortest and simplest description of Christ in all of the letters. The message to Pergamum comes from he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Here in this letter, the Lord is said to have a sword. And this sword is going to be used to smite the nations, according to Revelation 19. In Roman times, the sword was a symbol of might 
And interestingly enough, the Roman proconsul in charge residing in Pergamos during this time had as his symbol the power of the sword. The mention of the sword to the Christians in Pergamos would have reminded them that Jesus is Lord and not the Roman officials. Jesus has the sword they should be worried about and not the Roman officials who were banning about the city. In verses 13 to 15, the Lord gives a little diagnosis of this church. The same pattern he follows with every church, and this is what he says. He begins every one of these letters with these words, I know your works. Let me just pause for a moment and say, Jesus said that of all seven of churches, and he says it of us, doesn't he? I know your works. The Lord God knows what's going on in our life. I know we pray and tell him, but we don't tell him because he doesn't know. We tell him because it's important for us to know that he knows and that we know. The Lord Jesus says to the churches, I know your works and where you dwell. I know what's going on in your life. How encouraging that is to us to know that Almighty God knows what's happening in our life. And even in these dire circumstances, he says, I know where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name and you do not deny my name even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you in this city where Satan dwells. Here is his fourfold diagnosis of this city. He says, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, where Satan dwells, Jesus knew the circumstances of their faith. The Christians in Pergamos had their permanent address in the city of Satan. From Pergamos, heathenism, idolatry, and paganism radiated all over Asia Minor. From a Christian standpoint, it was one of the worst of the seven cities. Notice in your Bible, two times it says, Satan's throne and where Satan dwells. This illustrates the darkness and blackness of this place. One of the ancient wonders of the world is the magnificent altar of Zeus. On a ledge jutting out from the Acropolis was built the most ornate, the largest, the most famous altar in all of the world. It was over 100 feet square, 40 feet high, and around the base of it, one of the most impressive pieces of sculpture created by ancient art. The German government in the last century sent an expedition to excavate Pergamos, and they found a large part of that altar in their excavation. Now it is in the museum in Berlin. This altar high on the side of the mountain looks something like a throne. And some have thought this is what the Lord Jesus meant when he talked about the throne of Satan in the city of Pergamos. Pergamos was deeply entrenched in the worship of Asclepius. How do you spell that? A-S-C-L-E-P-I-U-S. Write that word down because it's important. Asclepius. In fact, Asclepius was known as the Pergamenine God. Asclepius was the God of healing. And the temples of Asclepius were the nearest approach to hospitals you could find in the ancient world. From all over the world, people came to Pergamus like you would come maybe to Rochester, Minnesota, to the Mayo Clinic. In that day, Pergamus was the place where you went for healing. And there in that city, priests and doctors worked together to try to bring about that healing. 
The common name for the temple of Asclepius was Asclepius Soter or Asclepius the Savior. And the emblem of Asclepius was a coiled snake. The emblem of Asclepius appeared on many of the coins of the city and it is behind the identification of this city as the city of Satan. And believe it or not, the coiled snake continues this day to be associated with healing. You see it in doctor's cards. You see it in pictures. And the word scalpel comes from the word Asclepius. So many of the things that are a part of our healing go all the way back to that early city, which was known as the city of healing, also the city of Satan. The Lord knew the circumstances of their faith. They lived in a very difficult place. And he knew the conviction of their faith. He said, you hold fast to my name. And even though they were persecuted and threatened, they held fast to the faith. It proves to you that no matter where you live, you can be faithful to God. You may live in the worst possible place. And sometimes I think living in the worst possible place might be easier because at least you know what to expect every day. Living in these comfortable places where we live, we walk out and we're kind of mesmerized by how good things are. I'll tell you what, if you're going to be a Christian in Pergamos, you better really mean what you say and say what you mean because you were going to pay a price for being a Christian. Not only that, but he knew the courage of their faith. Verse 13 says, And you did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you. Now, Antipas is the name of a man, a noble witness for Christ who sealed his testimony for Jesus Christ with his blood. Actually, the word martyr means witness. He was a witness for the Lord. He was a martyr for the Lord. Did you know that the word witness and the word martyr are the same word? The early Christians to be a witness meant eventually being a martyr. And Antipas is a word which means against all. This man was a faithful witness unto death against all. In calling him his faithful witness, Christ gives to him his own title. He is a faithful witness that is used of Jesus Christ on two occasions in the book of Revelation. Jesus knew the circumstances of their faith, that they lived in a tough city. He knew the conviction of their faith, that even though they were surrounded by all kinds of evil, they stood true to what they believed. He knew the courage of their faith. At least one of them had given his life for what he believed. He knew the compromise of their faith, and this is where they get into trouble. You know, you're reading along, and you're reading all these good things, and you hope that the word but doesn't come into the conversation. The word nevertheless, or the word but now, as we learn the church in Smyrna, there isn't anything bad said about Smyrna. There's one other church like that, the Church of Philadelphia. But in all the other letters, the writer of the letter gives you all the things that are good about the church and then slips in these few things that aren't so good. You remember Ephesus was a good church, had a lot going for it, dominant, very dynamic, but they had left their first love. Notice what the Lord says about this church. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. 
Now let's break that down. Let's talk about that for just a moment. Satan was not able to destroy the Christians in Pergamos by coming in as a roaring lion. But he was making inroads as a deceiving serpent. (laughs) A group of compromising people had infiltrated the church fellowship in Pergamos, and Jesus hated their doctrines and their practices. He refers to this doctrine as the doctrine of Balaam. Now, I know some of you know this story, but this is a great story from the Old Testament. So let me just tell you the story like we were just sitting around a fire here. I wanted to tell you this great Old Testament story. The Bible says that in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Balaam who Satan used against the people of God. Balaam was a prophet who professed to be able to influence the gods for or against people by his incantations and his offerings. He ran a wholesale business in divine favors, and he would negotiate with any god for whatever price. Balak, who was the king of Moab, promised Balaam a fat fee if he would come to Moab and curse Israel for him. Balaam responded, but he soon discovered that he could not command Jehovah. Instead, God of Israel took command of him. And this is kind of humorous. When he was forbidden by God to go to Moab on the first invitation, he assumed that God might change his mind the second time around. Balak offered him a larger fee, and Balaam thought it profitable to argue with God if he could make that kind of money. God allowed him finally to go, but after he got there, he compelled him to bless Israel instead of curse him, which didn't make his hirer very happy. (laughs) Balak offered him a larger fee. Frustrated by his failure to meet the terms of his contract, Balaam said, I won't do this, but let me show you how you can curse Israel. What you have to do is use a stumbling block in the form of enticement. Get the people of Israel to intermarry with the Moabites. These adulterous women will seduce them and take part of their religion and marry it with theirs and cause them to offer idolatrous sacrifices and commit fornication. Thus, Balaam was the prime mover in the fall of Israel. And if you know the story, you remember that it led to a plague which caused 24,000 Israelites to die. The doctrine of Balaam is this. Listen carefully. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. If you can't curse them, corrupt them. If somebody says, what's the doctrine of Balaam? What the doctrine of Balaam is, is if you can't curse them, just corrupt them. The sin of Pergamos was the toleration of evil and the toleration of evil men. And the error of Balaam is mentioned in the New Testament. In Jude, verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit and perished in the rebellion of Korah. And also in 2 Peter 2.15 we read, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. 
the error and the way of Balaam are embodied in the evil practice of using God for personal gain. The late Donald Gray Barnhouse once wrote, the very word Pergamus has in it the same root from which we get our English word for bigamy and polygamy. It is the word for marriage. Pergamus signifies a mixed marriage in the most objectionable sense of the word. It is a marriage of the organization of the church of Jesus Christ with the world. The doctrine of Balaam. Then he mentions this other very strange thing, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. He says, you people have done a lot of good things, but you allowed compromise into your church. You allowed people to come in and cause you to break down your convictions, and you begin to act like the world, and you brought the world in among you. And then he says, you have the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And the word Nicolaitan is derived from two words, which means to conquer the laity. And once again, most scholars believe that Nicolaitanism is the subjugation of people in a hierarchy so that some were lording it over others. This is where the clergy and the laity came into play, where some were promoted to places of high influence and given authority over the laity. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. Now, Jesus has something to say to this church in verse 16. He said, if you don't repent of the doctrine of Balaam and of allowing the priesthood of the believer to be compromised in a laity clergy division, I will come to you quickly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, I'm passing over some things, but I want you to get what happened here. In the city of Pergamos, what happened was the church was married with the world. Now remember, in the letters to the churches, we have representation of periods of time in the history of the church. Remember, the church in Ephesus represents the early church, the church of the apostles, the church that we read about in the book of Acts. And the church in Smyrna was the persecuted church. Remember, right after the church was born, after the first stages of the church, the church in history went through a time of great persecution. That's the Smyrnian period of the church when suffering was incredible. Remember, it was the persecution that thrust the disciples out of Jerusalem and made it possible for the gospel to be spread. Isn't it interesting? The Lord said, go into all the world and preach the gospels, and nobody ever left Jerusalem. Kind of like us, right? Sometimes I think that we haven't done enough to reach the world for Jesus Christ, so God's just brought the world around us. It's like the Lord said, if you won't go into all the world, I'll bring all the world to you. Well, in the book of Acts, chapter 8, I believe, in verse 4, we're told that they wouldn't go into all the world and preach the gospel, so the Lord sent persecution, and they were scattered abroad everywhere except the apostles. And guess what happened? The word of God was broadcast throughout all the world. God sent persecution, and the gospel was spread. Well, God is very determined, and he gets his work done um, either by our cooperation or without it. And I would suggest it's much better for us to cooperate with God. Um, he never loses. He always wins. And 
I've learned that the hard way, so has some of you, as we've gone through life and sometimes have tried to argue with the Lord. Tomorrow we'll finish up this lesson from Revelation chapter 2, and then we will continue on through these three chapters in the book of Revelation as we talk about the various churches and uh, what happened in the churches and the letters that were written to them and how they exposed their greatness and their weakness and how they identify for us characteristics uh, which we need to be aware of in our own lives. The Book of Signs is our resource for the month of March. This 463-page book is yours for the asking uh, when you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of March. And uh, we want to send this book to you. We're just looking for a way, for an excuse to do it. And so when you send your gift, that's how we can do this. We'll send it to you. You can have it for your very own. You can share it with others. And it will be our way of saying thank you for supporting this ministry, which is literally reaching around the world with the teaching of wonderful truth from the Bible. I hope you join us tomorrow right here on this good station for the next edition of Turning Point. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Seven Churches of Revelation, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's informative book, The Book of Signs. 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. The book of Revelation is filled with mystery, prophecy, and numbers. In fact, the number seven is mentioned 54 times. Dr. David Jeremiah helps us understand these sevens in the Revelation 7 Study Handbook and Seven Praises Bookmark, yours this month for a gift of any amount. And when you give a gift of $60 or more, you'll gain a clearer understanding with the Seven Churches of Revelation Study Set, which includes a CD or DVD album and study guide. Go to davidjeremiah.ca to learn more. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. 
William Leon Phelps, a 20th century American author, said that the acid test of a gentleman is this. A gentleman respects those who can be of no possible value to him. And that made me think about Jesus. Instead of courting the approval of the power brokers of the day, Christ ministered to the lowly, the hurting, and the needy. Yes, he was happy to minister to the powerful as well, like Nicodemus, but he didn't seek them out in order to advance his ministry. Phelps' definition made me think about my own life. Am I willing to love those who can offer nothing in return? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how God values people on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.